This is Environmental Voices Rising, Women at the Mic, and I'm your host, Michael Zimring. This podcast is interested in climate action and solutions, not doom and gloom. We are not planning on Mars as our next destination, because right here on planet Earth, there is a lot to be done. We bring you inspirational stories from women environmental leaders who are working on the front lines addressing climate change challenges. Their work is real and positive. We've created a platform to amplify the voices of women environmental leaders because they are committed to bringing innovation and compassion to the problems that affect us all. One of our solutions is to partner with Tree Sisters and we make a donation on your behalf to Restoring Forests with each new subscription. We invite you to join us, listen to the podcast, and subscribe on the website evoicesrising.com. We also publish a monthly blog and newsletter with resources on our website. Stay with us for today's conversation. Today, I'm talking with Rebecca Burgess, the UK Country Director of The Hunger Project and a team member of She Changes Climate. She Changes Climate calls on the leaders of global climate change conferences to include the equal participation of women at all levels of negotiations. We're going to be talking about how women's participation is crucial and a key factor in bringing equality, diversity, and inclusion to these international conferences. We all want to see progress on action plans, and our conversation today will address why women's equal participation can shift climate change decision-making. Women and girls have a crucial role to play in addressing our global challenges, yet even as recently as last year's COP26 and this year's G7 negotiations, women continue to be largely excluded from leadership. Let's talk about that. Rebecca, welcome to Environmental Voices Rising, Women at the Mic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Okay, great. Well, I wanted to start out with specifically the campaign, She Changes Climate because it began before COP26. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, absolutely. So She Changes Climate is a global non-profit organization that seeks to bring awareness to the crucial role of women in accelerating just climate action. It was founded in late 2020, so less than two years old, by three co-founders, Antoinette, Bianca and Elise, with the aim to bring that diversity and inclusiveness that you mentioned to the COP negotiations on climate change. So I became involved in the organization in September 2021, just before COP26. And the movement very much calls on world leaders to implement the gender action plan from COP25 and deliver on their commitment to promote gender equality in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change process. So there's all of the background information there and all of the goodwill and governance, but uh, a lack of actual representation when it comes to delivery. And just so the audience knows, COP26 is the 
the 26th United Nations Annual Climate Change Conference. COP stands for Conference of Parties, and they are attended by leaders from almost 200 countries. So COP26 was held in 2021 and hosted by the United Kingdom. And as the UK was getting their leadership in place, these three women, Bianca, Antoinette, and Elise, who were already working in the environmental space, saw that there were no women on the leadership team, in spite of the known commitment calling for gender equity. So they went to work with this campaign, She Changes Climate, created a, a petition, and called on the hosts to correct this leadership imbalance. That's actually how I first learned about She Changes Climate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, 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 yeah. So in 2020, it really kicked off having noticed that the UK team had no female representatives. There was a letter that was written to the UK government by over hundreds of um, female leaders around the world. Um, and, and rightly so. I mean, women represent 50% of the population or more, and yet we're still being spoken for. Um, and the stats alone speak for itself. So even despite our campaigning work in, at COP26, only 34% of COP26 committees were women, 39% of those leading delegations were women. There's only ever been, well, there's 119 countries in this world that have never had a female leader, which is shocking. And at the last G7 meeting that you mentioned, there was no women amongst the leaders of the member states there. So the COP27 team is not looking any better, uh, which is really sad. It's going to be led by a male um, COP27 president and a male high-level champion. So um, despite all of our good work, we're still not being listened to either. So that that was a key point, like not being listened to. Women are not being listened to. And the fact that you said there actually are women leaders, and I mean, I know this specifically as well, in my work, that there are women leaders in climate change action, and they're not being brought to the table, they're not being called on, their expertise is not being called upon. So I think there's part of this whole inclusion is like, this is one of the key things that's holding up the action and the changes that we need for climate change, that we this leadership that we continue to have is always the same. And then they come up with the same conclusions and they say the same things, And which met Greta Thunberg to say, same old, same old, blah, blah, blah. So if we want to see more action in climate change, what what is that difference when women are actually on leadership teams, not just in one or two positions? Yeah, and actually a saying that we use quite a lot at She Changes Climate is the climate crisis is a leadership crisis. It's it's clearly an issue that needs to be addressed. And like you say, there's women leaders all around the world that can really provide amazing insight into the challenges that we're facing. Plus, women are disproportionately affected by the climate change. So according to the United Nations Development Programme report, 80% of people displaced by climate crisis are, are women. So, and I see that day in, day out with our, and my work at the Hunger Project. So these women are not only leaders in their field, but they're also very much 
affected by the issues, which would make their insights even more valuable. And research has also proven that women are also the most likely change makers when it comes to climate change. When more women are elected to parliament, stronger environmental bills are passed and they're enforced more strongly and more strictly As a result, countries with more female parliamentarians have better climate policies, lower uh, recorded emissions. And we're seeing that even in the sort of investor space. So female investors are almost twice as likely as male counterparts to validate the importance of integrating environmental and social factors into their investment policies and decision making. So there's this wealth of evidence and this wealth of positive impact that women leaders can bring to society. And yet they're still being um, overlooked and not being given that opportunity. I think that's a very key point that there actually is a lot of research on the ground and you have personal experience and I have personal experience that this is absolutely true. So can you Continuing a bit on the research, can you talk about what are some of the values that women in leadership bring to climate change action on the ground? Yeah, I mean, the fact that we are more empathetic as a gender means that we can appreciate the different sort of lifestyle, um, or not even lifestyle, life-affecting changes that are happening on this world, and the appreciation of diverse voices. So we saw it at the COP26 activity that they, when women enable women um, to step forward, you get a whole diverse set of voices from age, age ranges to ethnicities to location to class. And I think that is something that we're seeing time and time again when women are able to be empowered, when we are given the mic, we share that out to all those communities rather than sticking to what is uh, currently the most known. (laughs) This is another key point. It's not just about having equal representation of women in leadership. It's also about diversity of voices and experiences being brought to climate negotiations. So can you say more about the diversity inclusion part of She Changes Climate? Well, because She Changes Climate is a global movement, it very much appeals to women working in a whole host of different sectors. And what we found when hosting an all-day event um, for COP26 is that we had over 30 global speakers talking on a range of issues from food to, to finance to creativity and uh, what sort of that sector can bring to this challenge. And Hearing voices from the global south um, is vitally important in any sort of uh, event or webinar, but it was massively lacking in the COP26 um, programme of activities. So we're very fortunate at uh, She Changes Climate to have such a, a, a diverse array of speakers from Indigenous communities as well as leading CEOs from around the world. So Again, it is just more focusing on the the global north, not speaking on behalf of uh, the global south, but letting them speak, letting them share their insights for what a 
truly sustainable world looks like and hearing that and listening to it and then acting on it. So could you, I know you can probably give an example actually from your work of women's leadership because the Hunger Project, you focus on women's leadership in eradicating poverty and hunger in several countries. Maybe that's a good example. Tell us about your, your, your work. Yeah, of course. So um, I guess firstly, it's worth mentioning that hunger is a solvable issue, like um, a lot of issues that we're still facing in today's society. Hunger was actually on the decline for many years, but in the last few years, it's been on the increase due to things like COVID, conflict, climate shocks, all leading to latest figures saying one in 10 people globally are without enough food to eat every single day. And we're seeing that even in the UK at the moment, which is obviously miles off the sustainable (laughs) development goals of zero hunger by 2030, which is very much where the Hunger Project wants to be. We were founded in 1977 and we're a global charity that operates in 13 programme countries around the the world. So nine in Africa and then we've got India, Bangladesh, Mexico and Peru. And we very much believe people are extraordinary and that the people living in poverty and hunger themselves are the most committed, passionate, uh, excellent leaders to actually help themselves out of that, uh, that problem. And so... Our programs, as you mentioned, whilst they all meet local challenges and opportunities wherever we work, they are centred on starting with women first and foremost, um, mobilising communities, making sure that our work is community led rather than us in the US or the UK or across Europe telling um, people in Africa what is needed for them. And engaging local governments is really key to that as well. And like She Changes Climate, we see time and time again how women are the solution. We know studies show that when women are supported and empowered, all of society benefits, their families are healthier, more children go to school, agricultural productivity improves, income increases. In short, communities are more resilient. And that's why we put so much focus on women um, in our in our work. And um, that's why we firmly believe that empowering women to be those key agents of change is an essential part to achieving the end of hunger and poverty. An example of some of what that means from a scale perspective is since 2008, we've trained up over 500,000 women in leadership that foster self-reliance within those program countries because if they feel empowered, if they feel that anything's possible, then it is. Um, and one of the initiatives that we're running here in the UK is called Unleashed Women, which is an amazing collective of UK-based women committed to becoming those agents of change and playing an active role in ending hunger and poverty by 2030. But by learning from those community partners on the ground in India, in Bangladesh, in Malawi, in Ghana and a whole host of places, because what we know is that these women are transforming their communities and yet they don't have the resources, the education, the positional authority that we may do in the UK. So there's so much leadership lessons that we can learn from them um, and bringing that into the work that we do. So really rethinking what's possible. 
Um, and as a result, the women in the UK feel unleashed and it's really inspirational. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that's a great example of on the ground action and leveraging community partnerships. But it also highlights the disconnect between the so-called high-level leadership at these global conferences where the guys are doing a lot of talking and speaking about solutions. But in the communities where the people are affected daily, it's these partnerships with women and communities that are making a difference. So do you think that if there were more support and spaces for women to speak and bring their experiences to these global meetings, we could start to move the needle on meeting climate goals? Yeah, I mean, we are more of a connected society than ever before. And I think um, this is a topic that a lot of people are aware of now that we need to be hearing from uh, from the voices that are affected by these issues. Um, but I'd say organisations like She Changes Climate, like The Hunger Project and many, many more are great gateways for getting that message, getting that voice out there. And it's our role to sort of amplify and share um, that content. I know that we at the She Actually Changes Climate earlier this year, we commissioned a fantastic film by Earth Minutes and Visionary Pictures that I would recommend everyone to watch multiple times and share it because it just so eloquently puts the issue and also the opportunity and the positivity that comes with enabling more women. We need to support each other. We need to hire more women, um, whether that's hiring a women founder to do your brand and your marketing to um, recruiting more women onto speaker panels or speaking up when we see inequality too. So if you're in a team meeting and your colleague is rudely interrupted by someone else, uh, speaking up and saying, no, I really wanted to hear what so-and-so had to say. Like, I think we need to be more bold, more confident and more demanding about the role that we play in our day-to-day jobs, just as we do looking for women leadership on a global setting. Let's continue our conversation with Rebecca Burgess about having the diversity of women's voices at all levels of climate change negotiations and supporting women to share their knowledge and expertise. Yeah, and there's some amazing women networks um, here in the UK and globally that really do create the environment for women to succeed Unleashed Women being one of those um, I'm really closely associated with Women in Sustainability Network and tons more and I think we just need to profile those and make sure that if we spot I don't know funding opportunities or sponsorship opportunities or if there's a corporate that's really willing to put some money into this space like making sure that it gets to the people that can make a difference with it rather than necessarily going to the more traditional sources of campaigning or activism around this space, like helping those that are really sort of, like you say, moving that needle. So how can men help support women changing climate? Yeah, well, at first, allowing us to step forward into 
that space. So if a man is invited to speak on the panel, ask the event hosts how many women are also represented on that panel. And if it is majority male, give their place up and and recommend a number of women to take their place. I think that is a real tangible thing that a man can do. Um, not speaking over a, a woman within the meeting space or um, or challenging a male counterpart that does that and saying, say, and inviting that woman back in to make the point that she was supposed to be making. Inviting an open, honest and transparent conversation within the workplace, looking at that gender pay gap. I mean, it's shocking that we're still 136 years away from gender parity in this uh, in this current world. Um, I just think that that's absolutely mental. So why why should it just be women shouting about these issues? It needs to be everyone together in order to get the gender parity which will lead to a much more healthier and um, sustainable environment for all. That's great. Uh, it's, it's important to highlight how men can step up and support women's leadership because as you said before we all benefit when women are equally participating in finding solutions. There was another point I've heard you mentioned like three or four times, and that's speaking for in addressing climate change, because there has been a historical tendency of, of the rich speaking for the poor, the global north speaking for the global south, men speaking for women. I'm sure that's going to open up a whole other can of worms. But I'll just say, however conscious or unconscious this tendency to speak for someone else is, it's not where we need to go right now when we need to hear from other voices. Yeah. And there's some really interesting research about, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, that men typically read other male authors, that men typically buy art from male artists. Like there is these in like inherent issues that they might not even be conscious of that they need to really challenge that unconscious bias that they have, uh, whether it is reading more um, women authors, joining more panel events that have a, a women-led panel, being in those settings, feeling that uncomfort, hearing the challenges that women are still facing today, talking to their wives, their sisters, their mothers, their daughters um, openly about some of the issues that they they find in their everyday life because it's only through those um, voices and actively listening will we be able to make the change that's needed. Those are all really great points. And it's, it's so true that we actually, in this climate crisis, that we need the representation. We need global representation and we need to hear from everyone and not try to speak for other people. I'd like to shift and ask you about the youth movement, especially the young women that you're working with in the Hunger Project. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, on Tuesday, I think next week, so on the 8th of August, um, in aid of International Youth Day, I will be facilitating a panel 
of ex global experts um, speaking about intergenerational solidarity, which is the UN theme for uh, this um, International Youth Day. And I think it really touches upon this conversation that we've had here today around open communications, ensuring that elder generations aren't speaking for the younger generations, that we're all learning from each other and giving each other the um, access to speak the truth. And I'm just in awe of the panellists that we've got um, speaking from Eliza, who's a UN Goodwill Ambassador, um, to Noga, who's a climate activist, Sadia, who is a youth leader on our uh, Youth Ending Hunger programme, and Cynthia, who's an author and activist looking at how she's turned sort of her experience as a mother into sort of really activating her own activism rather than feeling disempowered. And I think like having such a variety of speakers from all over the world, from lots of different ages, we do have two men on the panel as well. I'm really excited about having that conversation and seeing everyone's different perspectives and learning something from it. I watched some of the clips that you have on your website and with these young women speaking about their experiences, how excited they were and how moving it was because they're having an opportunity now to participate in leadership early on in their lives. Yeah, and what what we see quite often in the Hunger Project is uh, the right for increased uh, education for girls. So often when when families are feeling unable uh, to feed their families, for example, they take the girl out of school so that they can work on the land um, to make more money to, to feed the family. The girl and the, and the mother always ends up eating last. They're the sort of lower end of the family hierarchy, I guess. And that's why there's such issues around child um, marriage and why a lot of our programme work looks at ending child marriage is girls are seen as a commodity and an expensive one. So um, as, so- as soon as a family can get rid of their girl, it's the expenditure of another um, family. And so there's this sort of financial transaction that is really damaging to uh, a girl's life, because not only is she forced to enter a marriage that she's too young to even comprehend, that might lead to early pregnancy, that will definitely lead to her leaving school, which means that she can't be self-sufficient. It means that she's not getting the education to have sort of the income generating opportunities to support her family and to live out of um, hunger and poverty. So yeah, there's a lot of systematic issues that we we look at at the Hunger Project to really enable um, both women and girls in that sense. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about the importance of women's leadership in addressing climate change? I think, um, again, I would just um, appeal to all listeners to um, watch the She Changes Climate film. Um, I think it's a must watch for everyone. Host a film party get your friends, family, colleagues uh, around to watch it, put it on sort of your intranets and your your various social media platforms and make sure that, that you're having those conversations, that you're really driving that agenda. I, I think the more we can be open, 
and vocal about this issue, hopefully the sooner we can get it solved and we will have gender parity at the end. Thank you. Well, we will support She Changes Climate Film on our website and on on this podcast when it goes out. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so much. But I always like to ask my guests if there's another woman or women who inspire you, who have inspired you, keep you going because you're obviously so passionate about this part the your projects yeah it's absolutely. been really it's been delightful it's been really wonderful <laughs> just pick up on your energy of enthusiasm there's so many there is so many um as mentioned some of the panelists on next week's podcast it, i'm just constantly in awe of and especially many doing it at such a young age um so definitely check out um, Eliza Ayaz, who's the UN Goodwill Ambassador, Nogan Levy Rapport, who's the climate activist, Sadia Mahali, youth leader, and Cynthia Shangit Livin, um, who's the author and activist. And then there's so many women country directors at the Hunger Project. Um, Monsi, who's the Mexico country director, is um, she spoke at one of our events recently and is just con- is just so inspiring. So. Yeah, every day I'm inspired by another woman. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that's how it should be. Thank you so much. This has been a really wonderful conversation. I am so, I'm so glad to have this opportunity to really highlight and really look at the value of women's leadership in climate negotiations. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Yep. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at eVoicesRising and subscribe on our website, eVoicesRising.com. Share this podcast. We also have a library of resources on the website so you can dig into environmental issues yourself. Catherine Hayhoe, environmental scientist, says, just start by doing something, anything, and then talk about it. Talk about how it matters. You can connect the dots with friends and family and make a difference. Stay tuned for more episodes. Until next time.